This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. Adult magazines, comic books, garbage pail kids, and muscles. Tales from Bennett Valley on episode 7 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast. Broadcasting to you from Santa Rosa, California, by way of the IC Robots Radio Network, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, prepare to witness the strength of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome once again to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. It is I, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, back with episode 7 of the podcast. And as always, it is my duty to remind you that we are indeed coming to you by way of the IC Robots Radio Network, which you can visit over at icrobots.com. That is IC Robots, as in I look at them. IC Robots Radio Network is also the home to such great shows as the Toys R Us Report, This Boring Life, and Geek Fest Rants, along with a couple others. Go on over there, check it out, listen to all those fine shows. You can also subscribe to our podcast feed at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere where podcast feeds congregate. You can also follow IC Robots, the man behind our great network, at IC Robots over on Twitter. You can like the official IC Robots Facebook page on Facebook. And as for me, you can follow me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, at Sensational Vega on Twitter. I hardly ever use Twitter, but you can contact me over there. You can also friend request me on Facebook. I will accept any and all friend requests. Uh, you can find my Facebook address. You can either look me up on Facebook. You can find the address posted over at my WordPress site, which is genovega.wordpress.com. I have not been up updating that site, but all my contact information is there. If you would like to connect, please do so. With that out of the way, let's get on to today's show.
That's right, kicking it off with a little loudness here on episode 7 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. Unfortunately, due to some developments in my personal life, I have most certainly not been having rock and roll crazy nights um, the last uh, week or so. Last weekend was a big weekend here in the Sensational uh, family household, our youngest daughter, Ms. Sensational 2 had her first professional onstage uh, debut in a play she was in, which was great, but that involved uh, a lot of uh, rehearsals leading up to it that we were responsible for transportation to and from, and then performances Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon, and of course, starting Saturday, no, Friday morning, rather, uh, I ended up with kind of like some sort of stomach flu or virus. I'm trying to be like icy robots here. If you listen to the latest Toys R Us report, you'll Heard about his uh, recent bouts with illness, but yeah, I had my own little bout there. I uh, just woke up feeling weird. I had some work to do for my day job. Got that done. Had this great plan of finishing my day job work, mowing the weeds out in the front yard, and then just kicking back for the rest of the day until it was time to go to the play at about 7 o'clock. But instead, I ended up doing my day job work, dry heaving a little bit, and then just kind of fitfully sleeping all day was able to wake up in time to make it to the performance feeling about maybe 40%, but there was just really, I had no choice. I had to go. So just kind of kept my distance from people and went there and watched it. It was great. Um, Then proceeded to go home and sleep for about 12 hours. And I felt pretty good the next day and pretty much recovered. But yeah, the weekend was pretty much shot. And I usually look forward to my weekends, my rock and roll crazy nights as a time to kind of recharge the old sensational batteries. But that just wasn't in the cards this last weekend. Um, I do want to say, though, it's like it's funny. You know, I, I don't get sick that often. And um, it's something I'm, I'm pretty happy about, and I'm not sure why. I, I don't mean that I'm not sure uh, why I'm happy about not getting sick often. I'm not sure why I don't get sick that often. Um, I am probably the furthest thing from a germaphobe that a person could be, um, which is kind of funny because I'm fairly, you know, squeamish and kind of obsessive uh, in, about a lot of things, but for whatever reason, I, it seems like that kind of personality type often uh, veers towards germophobia. But for some reason, just like I, I, I refuse to believe that anything I can do on my own is really going to guard against germs that are out there in the world. If they're going to get to me, they're going to get to me. So why even waste a lot of time thinking about it? And so I'm not a big hand sanitizer guy. I'm not a big like tripping about that sort of thing. And I just don't get sick that often. Um, I'd like to think uh, um, it. Uh, Stems to, you know, my childhood, I the, the Chinese side of my family, my mom's side of the family, we'd go to these Chinese restaurants in uh, um, San Francisco, like real Chinese restaurants, not like American Chinese food, but, you know, actual, um, it's all Chinese people there eating. And, um, you know, this was the 80s. I'm sure things are a little bit different now. But, um, you know, you'd go to the bathroom and you have to walk through the kitchen and you'd uh, walk past the kitchen and you see this line of chefs just kind of like sweating and chopping things with cleavers and just the sweat's dripping down. They're all smoking and like cigarettes dangling out of the mouth, ash probably getting in the, the fish they're chopping up. And I, just from that early age, kind of seeing that and then eating the food and not getting sick, it's just sort of like, yeah, <laughs> that's life, dude. I don't think, I mean, if I'm going to get sick, I'm going to get sick. And if not, I'm not. And I just don't get sick that often. Um, and when I do get sick, I really, um, I mean, when I was a kid, I'd, I would embrace sickness because I'd like the idea of being able to stay at home and, you know, kind of kick back and watch cartoons. But as an adult, being sick is just a pain in, you know, the rear. That means I, I, I mean, they're not going to be able to get work done or even worse, uh, I'm probably 
still going to have to get work done and I'm not going to be able to have my recharge kickback time. So I really go out of my way to just no sell, uh, no sell being a wrestling term, uh, which the idea that like, you know, someone doesn't move on you in wrestling, you know, hits you with a chair, hits you with a forearm and you don't react. That's no selling. So I, I take it upon myself to just no sell sickness, which is what I did this last weekend. I just, yeah, I'm not sick. I'm going to sleep for a while and I'm going to be better. So just, just no sold the sickness, just kind of strutted around like Vince McMahon and sure enough, it went away. So it sucks that after a couple year run of no real viruses or anything other than just the, the average head cold, I finally uh, got taken out for about a day or so, but back on track here in the, in the sensational household and things are back to normal and I'm looking forward to this next weekend and getting my rock and roll crazy nights back. So other than that, I'm trying to think um, of what else has been up since last we spoke. Um, I attended a big wrestling show at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, which is kind of a historical venue down there. And I'm not going to talk about that because I've talked about enough wrestling the last few weeks here. Just put it out there that I went. You can actually um, listen to a good review, not review of that show, but just uh, some musings on that show on the most recent episode of the Toys R Us report, the uh, City of Z and King Arthur episode. Um, which is funny because Icy Robots didn't even go to the show, but he did a pretty good job of recapping what was up. So that was fun. What else have I been up to? I've pretty much been able to stay away from Fire Pro Wrestling. I talked about last episode that I was trying to kick that addiction, and I've had a few relapses since then, but stayed off the Fire Pro mostly. I've been spending my video game time I've decided to sit down and play through, not the entire series, but through most of the series, um, starting with uh, the third game that came out on the uh, for the PlayStation th- uh, 3, the first PlayStation 3 game, third game of the series of the uh, Sega's Yakuza series. Um, Yakuza is a um, Japanese uh, franchise, and I... There's an actual name for it in Japanese. I don't have it in front of me. I'm not going to bother to look it up, but it's called Yakuza here in the States. You play as a Japanese gangster guy going through Tokyo, um, and it's certainly not for everyone, but it's totally in my wheelhouse. It's kind of a weird, ponderous, boring Japanese game where you do strange kind of fetch quests for people in between beating guys up, and there's a melodramatic storyline and lots of cutscenes. It's the... um, uh, spiritual uh, spiritual heir to the game Shenmue for uh, the Dreamcast, if you remember that one, um, which I think there's going to be a new installment of uh, sometime here pretty soon. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's a fun game. So I've been playing that. I've been busy uh, watching um, the Best of the Super Juniors tournament in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Watching that by way of the their New Japan World streaming service, uh, which you can subscribe to for only 999 yen a month. What else has been going on? Oh, I had a strange thing happen the other day. Um, about a week ago, it was an afternoon, and uh, we were all home. No, no, not all of us were home. It was I was home. My wife, Ms. Sensational, was home, and our oldest daughter, uh, Miss Sensational, won. We were, the three of us were at home. Miss Two was at practice for that place she was in. And um, we're all sitting around, and usually the only person that comes to our door in the afternoon is this little girl named Lucy who lives next door. And um, Lucy usually announces her arrival by just kind of ding-dong, 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 ding-dong on the doorbell, so you know that's her. But this was like we're all sitting around, all of a sudden we hear this like kind of knock, 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 kind of, you know, cop-style rapping on the front door. And so it's kind of like, yeah, I wonder who that is. So um, I was standing in the kitchen, and um, 
Miss One was just kind of kicking back watching TV, and I think she was like in her underwear or something because it was a hot day out. So she ran out of the room so she wouldn't be seen when the door opened. And um, Ms. Sensational went and answered the door. And I kind of, I kind of could sense there was like a strange energy going on. And um, I heard her saying something like, uh, "Am I missing something here? All right then." And then closing the door, and I was like, "What the f? What's going on?" And uh, she's like, "I don't know, some teenagers." Um, and I didn't understand what she meant. And um, I kind of looked out the window and I saw these two kind of middle school looking dudes just sitting in our walkway, um, staring at our front door. And I guess these guys had knocked on the door and then just proceeded to sit down and they were just like laughing when she answered the door. And then they proceeded to just sit there for uh, another minute or two. And we were watching them through the window and one of them had kind of like a notebook or something, was writing something down. And so when they finally got up and left, I... Uh, went outside and kind of watched where they were going. And uh, they left our yard and crossed this busy street that one part of our house faces, Sonoma Avenue, crossed the street, and then proceeded to walk up to another house and do the same thing. So that was a little bit of a relief because it, it, my first reaction was that it's like, oh, my God, these psycho teenagers are, are um, staking out our house to kill us or something. But it's like, oh, well, they're doing it to everyone. So it can't be anything personal. Uh, you know, I thought maybe, maybe they hated the podcast or something. They tracked me down and uh, wanted to put an end to to it once and for all. But yeah, no, it wasn't a personal targeting, but it still just felt kind of weird. And part of me wanted to just like run down the street and uh, take one of them out from behind with a drop kick and then like elbow drop the other one and get into a confrontation. Or maybe hop in the car and like follow them to their house and, and yell at their parents. But, you know, I... So I was elevated for a minute, but then I kind of thought about it. And it's like, you know, this is so funny. Like, I'm so old now that there was a time in my life when I was their age and I totally did stuff like that. In fact, uh, did stuff like that that even got me um, arrested on federal charges once. (laughs) But that's another story for another time. Um, But I'm so far removed from that now. I'm the proverbial old guy who's getting all bent out of shape at these, um, you know, middle school antics. Um, And I also thought back to another time. The first time I really had that uh, realization was um, when our family had first moved back here uh, to Santa Rosa, California, back in, I think, like 2009, we were renting a house. And um, one day, uh, it's when um, I think, uh, yeah, Miss Miss Two hadn't even been born yet. So um, Miss One was pretty little. She was like three years old. And uh, I noticed that there were these kids on our porch, and they were kind of looking in the window at her and laughing. And I just freaked out and uh, just ran out there. I was like, can I help you? And they went running down the street. So I left Miss One in the house, followed these guys down the street, saw this kind of duplex house that they went into, went to the door, just bang, 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 slammed on the door. And this old lady answers the door and she's like, yes, like looking all freaked out. And I'm not exactly like an intimidating person, but I, I all of a sudden realized, oh my God, I'm scaring this woman. And I was like, uh, yeah, I need to talk to the two kids that are in there. And she's like, oh, my grandson and his friend. And all of a sudden I see these two kids and I realize that they're like eight or nine or something. And in my mind, there were like these 18 year olds who were like menacing our house and getting ready to kidnap Miss One or something, and she was like, oh, yeah, they like um, waving at your daughter because they think, you know, she's a cute, fun baby. And um, I think you've you've plenty scared them, so they're not going to come over again. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just felt like a total reactionary uh, crazy person. 
But then I realized I'd left Miss One by herself in the house. So I had to run back down the block and she's standing at the screen door crying and like, you know, someone could probably could have called CPS or something by that point. And I don't know, it was a huge mess. So um, that story came back to me and I remembered that. And so that that stopped me from doing anything too uh crazy about these kids. Still found it pretty irritating. I mean, when I did my hijinks back in the day, the goal was to kind of avoid the homeowner, not engage them. But whatever, um, you know, times have changed. And I guess I'm just the old guy now that wants people the F off their lawn. And I, I'm pretty comfortable um, being in that position. It's just funny to be there now. I don't know. Just some random musings here as we get going on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, episode seven. But enough about what's been going on lately. Today, we are going to talk about some stuff that happened many moons ago. We are going to talk about some tales from a neighborhood here in Santa Rosa, California called Bennett Valley, the first neighborhood that I ever lived in in Santa Rosa. Um, So it'll, of course, be of some specific interest to Santa Rosans. But as always, even though um, there are specifics to these tales, they're really intended to be universal because I'm sure there are many Bennett Valleys out there. And um, even if... uh, even if it's not exactly Bennett Valley, there are, are similar places, similar things. Y'all experienced uh, uh, things that that can dovetail with what I'm talking about here today, I am sure, because that has been the feedback I've gotten so far about the Mr. Sensational v- Gino Vega podcast that it speaks to a lot of common experiences that others have had. And thank you for that feedback. It keeps the episodes coming. So we're going to stop rambling now, and we're going to take a quick break, and then we are going to move on to Tales from Bennett Valley on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Tune in to the Toys R Us report for your weekly dose of pop culture talk that's out of this world. Movies, TV, toys, comics and more every Wednesday on the IC Robots radio network at icrobots.com. What are you waiting for? It's time to get down or come up. You are listening to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. I like minivan cruising, it's the way I get round. I 88 my MPH and flux capacitate now. Talking about 10 homies in a 91 Aerostar. You want the minivan, abalone, there you are. Sipping the sauces of liquid deposits. And when I break the seal, it's like a sloppy, droppy drip of the faucet. Best believe that we remove that. Middle row of car seat. This ain't no spreadsheet. This ain't no shark teeth. Minivan cruising down on Mendocino Avenue. The 12s in the trunk are tightened down with an Allen screw. But the windows, they rattle. They crack and they crumble. I cut a hole in the muffler, making a rumble. The dent in the side prevent me from turning right So I go left, I go left, I go left Three times it gets me to where I'm going That might be too confusing if you go My mini, my mini, my mini van cruising Many of mine, plenty of style Rolling my mini, mini Like 
like a cyber blast. When I drive her fast, I get more views than Justin Bieber has. Ten homies in a 92 caravan. And welcome back to episode seven of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. You were listening to the sounds of an artist by the name of Broiler, who operates from right here in Santa Rosa, California, and in particular, uh, from the neighborhood of Bennett Valley, the region of Santa Rosa we are going to be talking about today. Broiler actually has at least one track specifically about Bennett Valley, but repeated um, attempts to get him to email me said track were in vain. So instead, I featured um, one of his tunes that is available publicly on Bandcamp. That was Minivan Cruisin', which also features uh, tracks from artists Boots Riley, Casual, and Cool Keith. Uh, That's off the album Someone's Thunder that's available on Bandcamp. Just look up broiler.bandcamp.com if you'd like to hear more. But for now, we're going to start talking about a neighborhood here in my town of Santa Rosa, California, a neighborhood called Bennett Valley, where I spent some time as a youth. It was the first neighborhood in Santa Rosa that I really properly laid eyes on and the first neighborhood that I lived in when my family moved here in around 1985 or 86 or so. And before I get started, I guess I should give a little bit of background about Santa Rosa in general. I've I've probably talked about this somewhat on the show before, and I know um, Icy Robots has talked about Santa Rosa um, on his This Boring Life podcast, as well as on the Toys R Us report. But just um, for a little thumbnail background, um, Santa Rosa is um, a city in Sonoma County, uh, California, up here in Northern California. It's the county seat. Uh, in 2014, its population was estimated at 174,170. Um, it's the largest city in California's Redwood Empire, wine country, and the North Bay. So it's pretty much uh, once you pass San Francisco and you start going north, um, as far as I know, Santa Rosa is pretty much the biggest city between here and maybe once you get into Oregon or whatever. Like I don't think there's anything else um, um, north that's comparable. So it's kind of a strange place in that it is not a small town. I've lived in small towns. It is certainly not a small town, but it's not a big city either. And the people who live here tend to think of it as a real small town. And even though it's it's in a way connected to the more urban Bay Area, it's far enough away and isolated enough that it really is its own little world. Um, I guess recently, um, the way I like to think about it sometimes, um, I like to think of Santa Rosa as kind of the um, biggest little hick town in Northern California. It's, uh, you know, people freak out about the weirdest things, you know, like um, just any, any minor change to the city, any minor change to the locale, people are up in arms, people have pitchforks, it's going to be the end of the world, and the change happens and everyone forgets about it until there's the next change. Um, things like a new supermarket opening. I remember years ago there was a new, maybe a new Safeway open, and there were like spotlights at night for it, and people were actually getting in their cars and driving around trying to follow the spotlights to find out what uh, what was happening. So it's like stuff like that still gets over here in Santa Rosa. You know, it's not, it's not a jaded... Um, big city population, but the city's kind of a little too big for people to be as unjaded as they are sometimes, it seems. So another thing that happens in Santa Rosa that drives me nuts is that, you know, as time goes on, population increases, traffic increases, so on and so forth. It's just kind of the way of the world until some huge societal collapse happens or whatever, and the, we all start to die off. But um, Santa Rosans have this thing where they're always complaining about overpopulation. Like, oh, I used to be really nice here, but now all these people moved here and they live here. And it's like, 
yeah, you live here, dude. You're one of, you could always leave. You know, you could end it all and there'd be one less person tomorrow. So I don't know, whatever. That's just like a little pet peeve of mine. But teach their own. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. I just think it's kind of funny. But anyway, so Santa Rosa, um, um, a city that's too big to be a sleepy small town, but a town that still tries to be sleepy. Um, and Santa Rosa has a couple different notable neighborhoods. There's kind of the downtown area. I don't even know where, I think I, I'm considered to live in what's called the Memorial Hospital neighborhood, which is sort of um, right on the precipice of downtown. Um, but then there's there's Rincon Valley, um, which where Icy Robots lives. And that's kind of its own world. Cause I think at one point in time, and he could speak more about this cause uh, he's talked about this before, I think. But at one point Rincon Valley wanted to be its own municipality and for whatever reason that didn't happen. So it almost is kind of like its own city within uh, Santa Rosa. Like I, I, in my years here in Santa Rosa, I have not ended up in Rincon Valley that often other than when I'm hanging out with people that live there. Um, there's uh, the JC neighborhood, which is the area surrounding our local institution of higher learning, the Santa Rosa Junior College. Um, there's a neighborhood called Burbank Gardens where I lived for a while when I first moved back to Santa Rosa in 2009. It's kind of a funky area around the historical home of Luther Burbank, a uh, important figure here in the history of Santa Rosa. Um, there is a neighborhood called the West End, which is kind of an old neighborhood that in the last decade or so has had some revitalization going on. I lived there um, in a, a sweet bachelor pad many years ago when it was just considered a bad neighborhood. Now it's called the West End. And uh, that's kind of like a kind of a emerging hipster neighborhood in Santa Rosa. But then there's also Bennett Valley. And Bennett Valley was the beginning of my own Santa Rosa odyssey back in, I, I did the math and it was 1985 that um, my family moved to uh, Santa Rosa from Atascadero, California. I talked about this way back on the very first episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. Basically, um, I was born in San Francisco. My family moved to a very small town called Atascadero, um, which is kind of in the middle-ish of California. Um, and then after being there for a few years, my dad got a job up here in Santa Rosa, and we moved to Santa Rosa. And um, like I said, Atascadero, super small, one-horse town. Moving there from San Francisco, even though I was really young at, a time, at, at the time, it, even to me it was a culture shock, much less to my parents. So Santa Rosa, as we were preparing to move back, there was a lot of talk about how this was going to be we're, – we're moving back to something more akin to um, a city. Like this place uh, has not only one shopping mall but two shopping malls. And uh, Atascadero had zero shopping malls at the time. Um, you had to drive like 20 minutes, 30 minutes to this town, San Luis Obispo, to get to the nearest uh, – kind of major shopping destinations. And even those weren't that major. You had to go even a little bit further to a place called Santa Maria. And that's where like there was a bonafide mall and like a Chuck E. Cheese and stuff. We didn't have any of that. Uh, Santa Rosa had a Chuck E. Cheese too, I, I had heard. So my family moves up to Santa Rosa. And again, it was another winding path on our strange trajectory, starting off in a big city, San Francisco, to a hick town, to going back to something that was heralded as kind of a city, but it's really not. So I was expecting, you know, I mean, it is a city, but, you know, it's not like a San Francisco world-class city type uh, deal. So um, when we arrived in Santa Rosa, you know, I was expecting San Francisco, and instead I got kind of like um, – uh, oak trees and foliage, and I, I felt like, hey, we're still in the middle of nowhere. What's going on here? So anyway, <clears throat> rewind just a little bit. Um, we When we moved to uh, Santa Rosa, I guess my younger brother um, 
him and my mom came up here um, on their own, and I came with my dad. I'm not sure. I guess my brother and my mom just drove up in our family car, which was a Honda Civic. Um, and uh, my dad and I, though, we drove up in a van that had a lot of our stuff in it. Um, I think maybe he'd already moved a bunch of our stuff on one other trip, and then this was like the remainder of the stuff we were bringing up. But the weird thing is, is like he he had borrowed this van um, that we drove, and this was kind of like I, I don't know if the, I have the brand right, but it was like kind of a Ford Econoline type type deal. Um, so he had borrowed this van from some guy he knew, and I have no idea how he knew this guy. But the guy was like a hardcore born again Christian, and um, this is nothing. I'm not doing any commentary on this show about religion or anything like that, but it just decidedly my family, we were not born again Christians. So nothing wrong with this guy being one per se, but it was just, you know, n- not in our wheelhouse, but the van was all decked out in, um, uh, kind of Christian born again, Christian, uh, messaging, um, to the point where I think there was like a huge picture of like a fetus on the side of the van, you know, cause it was some sort of like abortion, anti-abortion thing. Um, so I just remember my parents were kind of like, well, this is awkward, but we're going to be rolling in this van. And I didn't really understand. I just, it, to me, it was, I just found it kind of creepy because, uh, why do we have this like unborn kid on the side of our van? Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, we made our way up to Santa Rosa, which was about four hours away from, uh, Atascadero and we're pulling in. And, you know, I'm expecting the big buildings, I'm expecting the skyscrapers, I'm expecting the high-rises. And like I said, I, we were on this kind of rolling, windy road, and I see a bunch of oak trees and a cemetery. And I told my dad, we're in the middle of nowhere. And I remember my dad saying, well, it's a pretty nice nowhere. And so that nowhere was, in fact, Bennett Valley, because that was the neighborhood we had moved into. We moved into a pretty small uh, two-bedroom, I believe, apartment on a street called Takava Drive, which is right off of Bennett Valley Road, which is kind of a uh, main road in Santa Rosa that has its namesake from the neighborhood. So as we're driving up in the van and parking and getting situated, and I'm looking at this apartment we're moving into, which is kind of part of a sprawling, um, not a complex like the kind that you enter, and then it's like its own um, kind of interior uh complex shut off from like the greater street these are these apartments were all on the street kind of duplexy type uh buildings some of them were two stories and then some of them were like ours where you had one unit upstairs and one downstairs but there were kind of these little duplex units off the street um as we're walking into ours i'm realizing you know what this is reminding me about something it's reminding me of the freaking karate kid dude and that is not a good scene like you know uh, I was kind of excited about this move at first, but now I'm realizing, you know, I was kind of established where I was before. I had my friends, and now we're and we lived in a house, and now we're moving into this apartment. And if I remember correctly, that's kind of what happened in Karate Kid. You know, he moved into this apartment, and he didn't know anyone, and things went south fast. And I mean, yeah, he met Mr. Miyagi and all that, but that is in a movie. That's not a given to happen in real life. But for some reason, I was thinking all the other parts of it were exactly going to um, play out in real life like they did, did in the movie, which they kind of did. So uh, there, there is truth to be uh, found in, in the cinema from time to time. Speaking of which, right now, um, Icy Robots has a new show called Real Wisdom, I believe I have the name right, available um, on our Patreon site. Um, you can get there via supportthereport.com. Uh, for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to our Patreon content. But anyway, I digress. Um, I'm, so I'm getting a little bit wary. I'm already feeling a little ripped off by uh, the surroundings or not what I had in mind. And here we're moving to this apartment. I'm realizing I don't know anyone anymore and so on and so forth. And so we move in and uh, it was 
the very end of the school year, and I talked about all this on, I believe, the first episode, so I don't want to go too into it too far. But um, yeah, I had one month at ben- or not at Bennett Valley School, at a school called the Alupa Elementary School in Bennett Valley. One month there and didn't really get over with people too much. Um, made a few acquaintances, but just felt kind of awkward. And it was a very different scene than Atascadero had been. And then, uh, so that month was out of the way. And then um, it was the summertime. And so I had a whole summer to really kind of get situated and scope out the Bennett Valley scene. So Bennett Valley, um, uh, generally speaking, I think it's fair to say it's a relatively affluent area. Um, The type of housing you'll find there, um, there's apartment buildings like, like the ones we lived in. And uh, like some condo buildings, but then there's um, kind of McMansiony tract housing out there, kind of more up in the hills. Um, I don't know if it's fair to say McMansion because it's kind of a little bit before that really became a thing because these are more like the '80s varietal of that type of housing. But yeah, I mean McMansiony type sub uh, developments. There's like Castle Rock and Annadale Heights, and um, when I lived there as a kid. Um, that's where like a lot of doctors lived up there um, and business people and stuff like that. Then, then there's more kind of middling houses. Like eventually my parents moved into to one of those more middling houses that are kind of in the flats of Bennett Valley. Then there's also more kind of rural properties um, as you get further afield. Um, so you have kind of a, a strange socioeconomic juxtaposition sometimes because like... Uh, I would find myself, you know, just rolling karate kid style, living in some crappy apartment, and I would end up having a play date with some dude I met on the um, playground. Of course, we didn't call them play dates back then. That's more like my kid's era. Like, you know, we just hunt, decided that we, we wanted to hang out with some kid that we met at school, and next thing you know, you're you're at a house where a fool has, like, a, a legit Picasso on the wall. Now, that, that's an extreme example, because most of the, like, that wasn't the McMansion scene. That was these people who lived kind of out on a rural property but the point is you have wild varying um people wildly varying economic backgrounds from kind of um middle class like my parents were to upper middle class to legit quote-unquote rich people um so being um in the middle to lower middle class bracket you know i i was like definitely one of the um quote-unquote poor kids in the region which is funny because i mean it's all relative, you know. If I were somewhere else, that, that wouldn't necessarily have been the case. And and there, I'm sure there were people in like straight up poverty out there. I don't want to make light of that, but yeah, it, it just trying to give a little flavor of what Bennett Valley was like. It was de- it's definitely one of the more upper crusty uh, parts of Santa Rosa, and a place where a lot of really established families, families that have long histories in the area, um, tend to live in Bennett Valley. Um, live in other neighborhoods too, but Bennett Valley de- definitely has some of that scene, which is another part of what made it weird, kind of moving there cold at the age I did and trying to fit in as a lot of the kids that I met there had known each other, you know, like for life and like their families knew each other and stuff like that. So it can be kind of a hard scene to penetrate sometimes. So yeah, I spent that first summer kind of, uh, getting the lay in the land, kind of roaming a bit. Um, it was a turning point for me in general. And some of these stories I'm just going to bleed in from starting with that summer and then into the following my fourth grade school year. Um, Because I'm not going to talk too much about school itself because, again, I talked about that on episode one of the podcast. But um, that whole time period was around the time when my parents started letting me stay at home by myself. Like if I was sick, 
I'd just stay home from school, you know, kick it at the apartment. Um, I was also starting to get more freedom to just kind of roam uh, the neighborhood and kind of hang around, which was funny. It was a funny thing growing up in my household because my parents were like super strict about like weird stuff. Um, like about what movies I could watch and like not being able to eat certain like sugary cereals and stuff like that. But then they, uh, on the same token, they'd just be like, yeah, whatever, dude, just go roam free and hope you don't get accosted or something and uh, come back sometime. See ya. So yeah, it was just, but I guess that was, that was the eighties, you know, that was, uh, uh, that was the way we rolled back then. Um, kind of funny to think about now, but, um, anyhow, so I I was out on my own hitting the streets, checking out the scene, and basically our street Takava intersected with a street called Knowles Drive. And once you hit Knowles Drive, it was an endless sea of kind of duplex apartments and condos for as far as the eye could see. Just a, a sprawling uh, just mass of housing out there. And that was an area known as the Knowles. And the Knolls is where I started to kind of hang out a lot as a child there in Bennett Valley because I met a kid that lived walking distance from our apartment. He lived in an apartment on Knolls Drive with his mom. Now, this guy's name was Matt, and I believe I have talked about Matt's before on this podcast, but this is not a Matt I have spoken about previously nor is it a Matt that I will probably ever talk about after this episode because I never really saw him again after this time period. But anyway, um, I met Matt. I don't even remember how I met him, probably just from like lurking around near his apartment. We saw each other and both the same age. And so, hey, what's up? Um, and uh, so Matt was totally pretty much on his own. His mom was a single lady. I think she might have had a boyfriend. Um, that was always a funny phenomenon in the 80s. It was so There were so many instances where uh, there was always some fool and they were living with their mom and then there was always my mom's boyfriend who was usually some guy with kind of feathered hair or a mullet that would kind of make an appearance now and again. And you're never really sure. Some, sometimes the guy would change, but it'd basically be the same guy. But my mom's boyfriend was definitely like a trope back then. But anyway, this lady just hung out in the apartment, chain-smoking cigarettes and drinking Diet Pepsi. Um, and didn't really care what Matt was up to at any given time. And so we would hang out in his apartment and we would play Atari 2600. I remember we spent a lot of time playing that Atari 2600 Spider-Man game for some reason. That was on constant rotation in his bedroom. Uh, we would eat <clears throat> lemon drop candies because for some reason they had a lot of those around the house. And um, part of me is thinking um, I'm – uh, juxtaposing it with uh, something in later Santa Rosa history, there was a video store that gave away lemon drops, so I, I usually ate a lot of lemon drops by way of that video store, Eastman Video. But this was pre-Eastman Video, I believe. I think they just had them in the house. So, um, yeah, I ate a lot of lemon drops, played Atari 2600, um, and we would watch movies. But like I was saying, my um, parents were pretty strict about what I could watch. Like, my parents were sort of like killjoys about popular movies in the 80s, so like, the stuff that I would hear everyone else talking about, like Smokey and the Bandit, Beverly Hills Cop, Rambo, um, Revenge of the Nerds, uh, Caddyshack, uh, all those kind of movies. Um, these were built up as big forbidden things to me, and I didn't really understand what they were or why. 
but I just felt very uneasy about them. But this dude, Matt, was all about 80s popular movies. So um, this was in the early days of VHS. So he just like threw on, you know, I, I checked out Beverly Hills Cop for the first time with him, if I recall correctly. Movies like that. So I'd always come home after these movie sessions racked with feelings of tremendous guilt because I knew I wasn't supposed to be watching them. But here I was over in the Knolls watching forbidden films. But that wasn't even the the, the, the height of it. Funny thing about this guy, Matt, this dude's mom was big on this tip where um, because dudes are going to look at pornography eventually, she'd rather him uh, get it from like someone she knew than on his own or something like that. So like he, he had this like, I don't think it was an older brother. Maybe it was like an older like cousin or something that would be around sometime. This dude named Seamus uh, who had kind of like a curly mullet. And um, she'd let that guy buy him adult magazines, which, thinking back, is kind of a weird scene, but whatever, teach their own. So he would have the random, like, Playboy in his room. And um, remember, we're, like, uh, late third, early fourth grade age at this time. So I guess, like, what, nine years old? So, like, uh, things hadn't exactly kicked in yet, I don't think, for either of us to really get why one would be wanting to look at these magazines, but we just kind of associated as like, you know, oh, this is super cool, dude, check this out, especially him. He would just be like, um, you know, the wise man on the mountaintop just uh, smartening me up to all this stuff, like, this is a Playboy magazine, this is what guys read. And so, like, I'd be looking at it, okay, huh, yeah, I see, yeah, so this is the the, the infamous uh, naked women, huh? Because I was always like an idea that was out there in one's mind as a young uh, male child. Um, so I, I understood I was supposed to be getting some sort of... Um, arousal from this material <laughs> but uh, at that point uh, the, the, the physical component wasn't there yet uh, what was there was like just the, the feeling that I was dealing with contraband material so there was kind of a rush there I also remember uh, so funny thinking back um, one of the magazines that he had had a contest in it and it was basically like you know you filled out this thing and sent it in and like you could go to some sort of sporting event with a playboy playmate so it was this idea that you'd go hang out at a, at a baseball game or whatever, a football game with a, a playmate. And I was like, wow. I was trying to, I was thinking, this is cool. You know, we should enter this contest. But, you know, oh, we're not old enough, man. That's so unfair because it said, like, you know, you had to be 18 or whatever to enter. But then I was trying to think, why would it even be cool? And I was basically picturing, like, you'd have this nice lady kind of, like, going with you to this game. And it'd be sort of like having a, your mom. But she's not your mom. You won getting to go to this contest. So she'd probably be nicer than your mom. I don't know. Weird. Weird stuff in retrospect, but yeah, I, I remember being very taken with the idea of that contest. So Matt and I would would hang out at his house. We'd also kind of roam the hood. Uh, we were big into doorbell ditching. Um, I remember um, really into doorbell ditching and really effective at it until one time I got kind of freaked out about it because um, we doorbell ditched this old lady and she came out and where most people just looked around confused and then eventually went back into their apartment. In this case, um, Matt and I were hiding behind a truck and the lady came out and she looked straight through the truck and was able to see us and uh, called out, get out from behind that GMC. And we just like freaked the F out because how can she see us? And we took off running. But I think in retrospect, like we weren't standing behind the wheels. Like our feet were right behind, the, you know, 
visible under the GMC. So busted doorbell ditching, but doorbell ditching brought with it um, quite a bit of high hilarity back then. Also uh, crank calling people, calling random phone numbers and saying weird things to people, um, which for years that was that was a staple of my entertainment game um, until the advent of Star 69, you know, call ID, call return, kind of put the kibosh on that. But, um, yeah, we like to, um, call, uh, there was a, so I guess it was sort of like a strip club in Santa Rosa called everybody's talking. And, uh, we like to call that place up and, you know, they'd answer, hello, everybody's talking. And you, know, you tell them, tell them to shut the hell up. Ha 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 ha. That was a good one. Yeah, that was really, really funny. So, um, my life in Bennett Valley soon fell into kind of a lazy pattern, um, that started over that first summer of just kind of hanging around with that guy, Matt, drinking tons of Diet Pepsi. I cannot even, uh, emphasize how much Diet Pepsi his mother consumed. And so, and their garage, um, I don't think there were cars in the garage. I think it was just full of boxes, cases of Diet Pepsi. So we'd go and help ourselves to some cans now and again. And they were always, we got them from the garage. We didn't get into her stash in the refrigerator. So it was always this either lukewarm to hot Diet Pepsi, just totally noxious stuff. But, you know, whatever. We'd down that, hang out, play video games, watch movies, flip through the occasional adult magazine. And then eventually the school year started and I would go to school, was not into it at all, talked about it on episode one of the podcast, um, would hang out with Matt after school. Funny thing about starting school, though, in Bennett Valley, I had had that first month um, at Yalupa School. I think I might have walked to that school because it was kind of a straight shot down uh, Takavah, the street I lived on, and then right on some other street, and then you were right there at the school. So I think I walked to school then. But Bennett Valley School was also definitely, probably even closer, now that I think about it, walkable from our apartment. But it involved crossing a very busy street, Bennett Valley Road. So the school district had forbade children um, to walk to school that were going to Bennett Valley School. You had to take the school bus or get dropped off by a parent. That didn't stop tons of kids from walking to school, but I was kind of goody two-shoes. And so I followed the letter of the law, and I took the bus to school, which on the first day didn't seem like a big deal because right across the street from our apartment building on the other side of Takava was one of the school bus stops. So I could just get up, get ready, walk across the street, and I was good to go. But in addition to the school not allowing children or not wanting children to cross or walk on Bennett Valley Road, um, the bus driver noticed that I was crossing Takava to get to that stop, and that was not allowed either. I had to take a bus that stopped on the side of the street that I um, lived on. So... Um, that involved walking way the hell down, almost all the way down to Yalupa School, where I'd gone for that one month of third grade to pick up the bus when it was on my side of the street. Why I didn't just like fake them, like I should have just put, oh yeah, great, and then still cross the street anyway. I don't know why I was such a uh, rule follower, but I was. And so getting to school became this overly arduous, unnecessary process. And similarly, getting home from school, I think the first year I was at Benna Valley School, the school buses that were taking kids home to um, the uh, immediate surrounding area of the school, the buses would leave and take those kids home first and then come back and take the kids who lived way the hell out in the sticks home. But then the second year I was there for fifth grade, they flipped it. So I basically had to hang around at school till like five o'clock um, to travel, you know, five minutes to um, our apartment. But I should have been smartened up like my friend John, who I've talked about many times on this podcast. He would just say F it and walk home, Um, including like trespassing on people's properties and getting yelled at and stuff like that. He just he didn't give a 
Just uh, uttered my first uh, accidental F-bomb here on the podcast. We are a family-friendly show, so I apologize for that. I edited it out, but yeah, he did not give an F. So anyway, just a funny little aside about my transportation issues getting to school in Benna Valley. But back to what we were talking about. Um, yeah, I would go to school, not really pay much attention, um, just try to get by. And then after school, was back to going over to the Knolls and hanging with Matt. But around that first fourth grade year, I started to really get into um, – I always think back to that year. There had been rumblings before it, but I think back to that year is really when my – kind of aesthetic worldview and popular culture interests and artistic interests and um, just my preferences for the way I like to see things and look at things all really crystallized and started to take really definite shape, a shape that continues to this day. And part of that process was, um, for me, the beginning of, I guess, well, I'd already been interested in certain kind of pop art, pop cultural artifacts even prior to this. Like I was always into action figures and did, didn't collect action figures in the sense of like keeping them around to have years later, but, you know, collecting them to play with. You know, I was into action figures. I was into toys like that. Um, 1986 and when I was in fourth grade and when I was living in Bennett Valley was when I first started to really get interested into kind of pop culture artifacts as sort of um, – for lack of a better term, I don't know, like totemic objects, objects of some sort of just power and interest um, that, that I became obsessed with. Um, and these objects included WWF memorabilia, uh, the aforementioned action figures. Um, I got really into um, movie posters, not the actual posters, but that guy Matt from the Knowles, um, he had this deal where he would cut out all the ads for the movies that were currently playing locally um, from both our local newspaper, the Press Democrat, and from uh, San, the nearby San Francisco paper, the biggest major uh, newspaper, the San Francisco Chronicle. It's back when the Chronicle's entertainment section, if I remember correctly, it was still um, uh, printed on pink paper. The entertainment section was pink. I think the sports section was green, um, if I'm remembering that correctly. But he would cut out um, all of the now-playing um, you know, kind of newsprint versions of the the movie posters and kind of make collages with them. So I started mimicking him and doing the same thing. So I got really into cutting out uh, movie images, making collages. Um, and two other things that came on the scene that I became very keenly interested in um, as kind of art objects. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't have thought of it as art at the time. It's just what you did. But looking back, I mean, that's really um, popular culture has always been my um, medium. Uh, that and I guess performance art for for lack of a, another better term. But uh, anyway, um, I got very interested in Garbage Pail Kids, um, Garbage Pail Kid trading cards, and Muscles. Muscles being the American, North American version, toy version of a Japanese manga and anime franchise known as Kaniku Man. So Garbage Pail Kids, I remember vividly, um, they found me in Bennett Valley. Um, it would have been in, I guess, February of 1986, because uh, I remember it was post-Christmas season, because when you're that age, you kind of feel like you know, Christmas season is that time of the year um, where it's the big crescendo of new new things, new pop culture toy items coming into your life. And then it's kind of uh, everything breaks back down and there's kind of a lull until it starts to ramp up, uh, maybe a little bit in the summer and then 
back to the next Christmas season. But you're not expecting much new to come down the pike in February. But for me, that February... Um, Garbage Pail Kids came down the pike. And I remember um, there was a news item on a uh, news article on local uh, network news television about the Garbage Pail Kids phenomenon. And I saw it and immediately I was like, what are these things? What, what, what's the big deal now? What, there's got to be some gimmick here. There's got to be some reason why people are talking about these things because they just look like trading cards with like a picture of a kind of warped uh, Cabbage Patch Kid on them. But th- there's got to be something more, right? But it turns out that's what they were. Um, but my dad got a kick out of them on the news, uh, TV news article as well. So he was like, well, let's go find some. So we hopped in the car and I remember it was raining out and we drove to a nearby drugstore and they didn't have them there. And we drove to a nearby toy store and they didn't have them there. And we kind of drove to several different retail outlets around town and no one had them. And I think it's some of the places didn't seem to know what we were talking about. And then other places are like, oh no, we're all sold out. So it, it added to the mystery. It was like, do these things even really exist? Or are we just on this wild goose chase? And I don't think I did end up with any on that uh, trip around uh, Bennett Valley and the rest of Santa Rosa looking for Garbage Pail Kids, which I think probably led to um, what ended up taking over most of my fourth grade year in class, which was I would cut out various misshapen um, attempts at cardboard backing. I didn't use any system or anything, so they're all slightly different sizes, slightly different shapes. Some would be long and skinny, some would be short and fat, some would be kind of crooked. But I'd cut out cardboard, and then I'd make up my own kind of sad garbage pail kids, because I I got the sense... picked up on the idea that Garbage Pail Kids were usually like the name was kind of a gross pun and then a picture of uh, the pun brought to life in the form of a warped Cabbage Patch Kid. And so I'd make up my own really bad Garbage Pail Kids like uh, I remember Haley Comet and (laughs) Haley Comet was a comet with a Garbage Pail Kid face. Get it? (laughs) And I feel like that might have actually been a legit Garbage Pail Kid at some point. For some reason, I'm thinking I I saw that later on, but um, that is one that I remember making up in my own mind. Uh, But yeah, overall, I don't think I ever would have cut it in the top's creative department. But I did spend most of my year making these cards, and I write facts about them on the back. Um, I have much more detail than actually occurred with Garbage Pail Kids in the wild. Um, Eventually, I did get a pack. I found out that there was this little liquor store on Bennett Valley Road right around the corner from our apartment that you could walk to down that treacherous road where children were not supposed to be. But I started walking there with Matt, and you could get Garbage Pail Kids there. And uh, so we stocked up, and that was my first entree into the idea that, you know, we can just roam around and find our own stores to buy stuff, Um, which seemed pretty cool and liberating at the time, because up until then, I'd just kind of been at the mercy of my parents allowing me to buy something in the first place, then taking me to buy it. You know, a lot of things had to, a lot of ducks had to get in a row in order to be, in order for me to actually end up with an item that I wanted. But if in this case, if I had the pocket change to buy it, I could just start walking and find a place to buy it myself. Um, and now we got away from muscles, and I'm going to talk about them uh, too, but I, I think I'm going to kick them down uh, the podcast a little bit um, because now we're going to talk about um, some of my greater roaming expeditions throughout the neighborhood of Bennett Valley. So my earliest uh, roaming expeditions were really um, pretty minor and relegated to kind of wandering up and down the street in front of Matt's Knowles Drive apartment, or his mother's apartment, rather, that he inhabited. 
um, doing the doorbell ditching I talked about and just kind of generally hanging around. But there wasn't much to do around there because, as I said at the beginning, it was just a big sprawl of residential apartment housing. So, you know, once you got a couple blocks down, everything started to look the same. I was always afraid, how am I going to find my way back? I feel lost. But I always kind of magically, I don't know, the, the Knowles was kind of like a uh, the wardrobe to Narnia. You know, you kind of went in there and you felt like you were lost in this whole other, other world. But somehow, if you just kind of traced your steps back, you ended up back at your own house. It's kind of funny that way. But uh, so... Initially, I didn't get out too far. I stayed around Matt's house and around my own house. And um, just to kick it back to my own house, um, a couple little stories of that apartment there before I start satelliting out into the greater world of Bennett Valley. Uh, A couple stories that come to mind briefly. Um, Our apartment was pretty boring. It's just a small, random apartment. There wasn't much going on there. Um, Probably why I felt the need to go out and explore. But a couple of eventful things happened there over the years that we were there. Um, the main one being, um, we had a neighbor. He was in the apartment next, uh, just kind of across. You, you went out our front door and then you looked directly across a little walkway to his front door. And where ours, I think I had said earlier was two stories. We had our apartment on, on the bottom and then someone I never even saw or heard above us. This guy, Billy, his apartment next to us, he had, it was a two-story place. It was considerably bigger. And I remember I, I had seen Billy for the first time, I think even like on the first day we moved into the apartment. And I was always a little bit afraid of him. He, I, I, I was used to in our previous, um, actually everywhere I'd lived growing up, because in San Francisco we lived in an apartment and all the neighbors were super friendly with each other and everyone knew each other and they were a wide disparate cast of characters, but I had a real Sesame Street vibe, you know, still urban um, and totally uh, varied as far as who lived in the building, but everyone was kind of uh, on the same page as far as being cordial and and uh, neighborly with one another. Then Atascadero, and we lived, you know, in a, in a single family home with neighbors that we knew across the street and everyone in the region, in that immediate region of that street was, you know, families with kids, young families with kids. So everyone was kind of on the same page and, and spoke the same language. I don't mean literally spoke the same language. I mean, we did, but <laughs> you know, everyone was able to have very common uh, ties. Now here, Billy was the first neighbor we ever had where he's single guy, no kids. So I couldn't relate to him uh, on that level. I didn't recognize him uh, as I rec- as a part of a family unit, like I recognized myself. Um, but he also was totally not um, how the people that I remember from San Francisco were as far as being friendly and sociable. He was kind of beady-eyed guy, usually seen taking his trash out, wearing a wife beater shirt and like kind of gaudy chain jewelry around his neck, sort of balding fellow, just kind of look at you funny. And so I kind of tried to avoid him. Um, and I remember um, he had, he drove a blue pickup truck with uh, the back window of the cab. Uh, he'd customized it so it was like this reflective uh, sort of Budweiser mural. It was a bunch of Budweiser cans. And I remember he had a bumper sticker that my mom found annoying. Oh, that guy's a jerk. And I, I didn't under, I didn't get it at the time. It took me many years to finally get it, but it was uh, a bumper sticker that said, don't laugh, your daughter might be in here. Um, and uh, so he lived in his house and Pretty shortly into, or his apartment rather, pretty shortly into living in our apartment, it started to become apparent that Billy liked to party. And so starting at about five o'clock on every Friday night, you'd start seeing um, fools roll up to his apartment. 
and my parents would start to get tensed up and irritated. And basically it would lead to um, the next several hours just uh, tons of people congregating like inside and around the apartment, just yelling how loud, people urinating in the bushes. Um, in my memory, I, I remember the first time my parents were really tripping about it. I, I watched this one guy enter the apartment and he was wearing kind of like a newsboy hat. And to me, he looked like the Brooklyn brawler. So I was basically picturing like a bunch of, I was picturing the scene from like the Goonies are good enough when like the, all the heel wrestlers show up and start hounding them at the gas station. Like that's what I was thinking was going on next door was basically like classy Freddie Blassie, the Iron Sheik and the Brooklyn brawler were all just like drinking some Budweiser's and telling people not to laugh because their daughter might be in there. But uh, the parties, though, were freakishly big to the point where, um, you know, my parents kept calling the cops and everyone would disperse. And the most of the cops would do would, like, make all the drunk people drive home. But um, And there's a lot of really young people at these parties. And it turns out somehow my parents found out uh, – after eventually, after this went on for a long time, Billy got evicted, I believe. But my parents found out he basically he had like some slot machines up in there and was uh, basically running these like professional parties. It was almost like kind of a speakeasy, and like he would let people in underage, so people were paying to attend these parties. So it wasn't just like a dude having some of his buddies over. This was like hardcore professional partying, and probably why it was uh, attracting so much negative interest in this small apartment complex. But the funny thing is, um, many years later, or probably not even that many years later because it's been way more many years since then. But some years later, I remember that guy, Billy, ran for some sort of public office, maybe county supervisor, something where he showed up in the paper and my parents are just like, could not believe it. But then around that same time, I believe he worked for Kaiser or some other health uh uh, care provider here in the area and he got um, dismissed from his job and like escorted away by, by a security guard under mysterious circumstances I think there might have been some sexual harassment charges involved or something so uh, Billy just uh, continuing to take it to the next level into middle age so Billy wherever you are out there my man um, have that next round on me um, thanks for freaking me out as a kid um, uh, I don't hold a grudge though because you provided me the template for what a party looks like that I I probably subconsciously kept in my mind for years later in my own parting days. So Godspeed, Billy. Um, the other thing I was going to say that I remember from living in that apartment complex is just such an example of my bizarre, magical thinking. I remember um, one day I was playing out in kind of our back patio area, and I think I had to like leave the patio to get something out of the car with my mom, and we walked past the dumpsters, kind of the communal uh, apartment complex dumpsters and I noticed sitting in the dumpster was a box for an Intellivision, an Intellivision video game system. And I never owned an Intellivision video game system. I never even knew someone who did. Neither that nor ColecoVision. It's kind of funny. But um, I just became convinced that that, um, either... Like on one hand, I felt that someone had actually thrown, accidentally thrown an Intellivision in the garbage. I needed to sneak back out there and go get it. Um, And then that kind of you know, I started to think about it. I was like, See, someone wouldn't have really thrown one away, but I almost feel like the dumpster, um, you know, someone threw the box away, but maybe in the box there's an extra unit or maybe like a unit is growing inside the box. So I need to go out there and get it because I think, you know, I can end up with my own Intellivision. But I wasn't allowed I, – I wasn't supposed to leave the back patio area. You know what it was? Because I was going to say, what the hell, I was able to roam all around Bennett Valley, but – um I think I was watching my little brother out there who at the time was like kindergarten age and I wasn't supposed to leave him alone. Um, so I just sat there just being gnawed at the fact that that box was out in the dumpster taunting me. And by the time I got out there again, the dumpster had been cleared and it was gone. So I never did get my hands on that in television, which I'm sure was just sitting in there growing inside the box. Um, yeah. 
Yes, as these episodes continue, you will keep getting insight into my strange stream of consciousness way of thinking that I had as a child, and I guess in some ways still persists to this day. And that stream of consciousness is going to come into play now that I'm finally going to get on with the roaming stories I promised. So like I said, uh, Matt and I didn't get too ambitious about our expeditions, but um as I continued going to Bennett Valley School and starting to meet some other kids, I started to meet, make some friends who didn't live – they lived pretty close by but not as close as Matt where Matt – it was like literally like a two-minute walk from my front door to his front door. I started to meet some fellows who lived in the adjacent areas but um, far-flung enough that if we were to walk to visit each other, it involved kind of venturing out of the immediate neighborhood. And one of these guys, I think his name was Jason – Jason was kind of a big burly fellow. Jason, um, we're talking about my stream of consciousness, for some reason is, is burned into my mind to this day. He's kind of a big, uh, burly, chatty, happy-go-lucky, kind of jolly green giant meets baby Huey type of individual. And um, for Halloween, I think the first year I knew him, probably in fourth grade, um, I think he dressed up as like a glam rocker or something for Halloween. And he wore this black lipstick and eye makeup. And when he had makeup on, he resembled a mom of this other kid at the school, in my mind. So I, I always thought of him as somehow being related to this other mom, almost like another version of her. And I almost thought of him as uh, a woman. And I don't mean this in any kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not getting into like gender studies or gender theory. I'm, I'm talking about my mind as a nine-year-old, as weird and... and string as it was I just like oh Jason yeah he's a woman and again not woman like he's not manly or something it just in my mind he reminded me of this other mom and I pictured him with the black lipstick and one thing led to another and then television's growing in the dumpster and next thing you know Jason's a woman so anyway he's this woman I hung out with and um he lived with his mom and uh he had he totally had a my mom's boyfriend up in the mix because I remember um one of the first times we ever hung out, I went over to his house. My parents dropped me off over there. And then his mom and my mom's boyfriend, not my mom's boyfriend, but Jason's mom's boyfriend, um, drove us around town in my mom's boyfriend's like Trans Am or some kind of sporty little 80s car. And I remember the dude had like brown feathered hair and he's driving. And uh, Jason's mom was in the front seat, front passenger seat with him. And we're in the back. And, like, I remember she had her hand on his uh, thigh, his upper thigh. I think they kept, like, kissing and stuff in the cartoon. I remember it made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> but, yeah, that whole my mom's boyfriend thing, uh, that scene was kind of creeped me out when I was a kid. Not that people shouldn't be happy in life and meet new new, new folks if their marriage dissolves, but the, there was just something about the my mom's boyfriend dynamic was always a little bit... Um, the, the way it played out in the 80s was always seemed a little bit sleazy to me as a child. <laughs> so, you know, hand, hand on the upper thigh and the making out at the stop lights while you got the kids in the backseat. I don't know. I mean, teach their own, but for me, that wasn't a great look. Um, so I started hanging out with Jason and, um, Jason would started to kind of pop up. He'd walk from his house over to see me and Matt. So he would kind of emerge out of the, out of the wilderness. Again, speaking of the fact that, you know, we could walk over there just as easily as he could walk over here, which means we could really walk anywhere. And, um, around this time, my mom's parents, my grandparents on my mom's side, they came up from San Francisco to visit us in Santa Rosa, and um, I guess they must have stayed at our apartment in Bennett Valley. I don't remember that part. Maybe they just came up for the day. I don't know, because it's only an hour away. Um, but they came up to visit, and at one point, for some reason, 
my grandpa took me down to this shopping center in Bennett Valley. One of the one of the main shopping centers there, definitely one of the most iconic ones. Um, over the years, it's housed um, a Chinese restaurant that's popular with folks in Bennett Valley named Kieran, which I think is closing sometime soon. I was never a big Kieran goer myself, but I come from a kind of weird skewed place when it comes to Chinese food, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Karen's in that shopping center. Um, there used to be a bar called Jay Barley Corns in that shopping center. Um, there is a 7-Eleven in that shopping center. Very, very uh, important figure in Bennett Valley, that 7-Eleven. Um, there used to be a video store, and I might be getting this wrong, but I believe it was box office video. Um, IC Robots would be the authority on that. And that video store um, once employed the artist Broiler, who we heard um, one of his songs earlier. Um, so kind of a little strip mall shopping center there, but always a hub of activity. Oh, a Baskin Robbins too, where after um, any kind of school event where kids would be getting awards or graduating or whatever from Bennett Valley School, um, the, the place would always be mobbed with families going to get ice cream. That was always the go-to spot in Bennett Valley, that Baskin Robbins. But anyway, for whatever reason, my grandpa took me down to that shopping center. We went into the 7-Eleven, and he told me I could buy some comic books. And I had had a few comic books here and there leading up to this point, but I was not an active comic book purchaser or reader. I would certainly read them if they came uh, into my sphere, but I didn't have a regular way of obtaining them yet. And I thought, wow, that's cool. I'm going to get myself some comic books. So I might, I probably got more than these two, but the two that really stand out to me that I remember to this day, because this is kind of what catapulted me into um, more regular comic book purchasing and reading, I uh, picked up Captain America issue 318. This is when during the uh, 75 cent era of comic books. And Captain America 318... Um, it's when I think he was like uh, Steve Rogers. Um, it was when they were playing up the fact that he was a part-time illustrator. And I think he might have been like kind of traveling cross-country on a motorcycle. And he encountered the infamous Blue Streak. So if you want to read more about Captain America, uh, he had new headgear uh, for his motorcycle on that issue too on the cover. There's an arrow pointing to his head and it says, and check out Cap's great new headgear. So if you want to check out that war on wheels, uh, head on back to issue 318 of Captain America. I'm not sure which volume that would have been, but it's from around 1986. Uh, so I picked up that issue of Captain America, and then I also picked up issue 16 of Sergio Aragones, and I'm probably saying his name wrong, Grew the Wanderer. And you may recognize um, Sergio Aragones' uh, work from Mad Magazine, but Grew the Wanderer was a comic book series that um, at the time was being put out under Marvel Comics' epic uh, imprint, which I think was kind of like artsier uh, Marvel Comics. I think ElfQuest was on their epic imprint as well. But I picked up uh, issue 16 of Grew. It's got a picture of the man himself um, holding a blade up to his nose because there's a fly on his nose, and he looks like he's thinking about chopping the fly with the blade. But y'all know what will happen if he does that. He might hit his own nose, but that's kind of how Gru uh, rolls. But I became just enamored with Gru, and that became my go-to series for a while. And uh, just I, it was such a, a rush, such a magical feeling buying those comic books from the 7-Eleven. I was like, i got to start coming back here and doing this uh, regularly. Um, and so I realized, you know, this shopping center seems so far away from my apartment, but... I kind of feel like if I just wandered far enough, I could get there. So one day I was hanging out with Matt um, in the Knolls and that guy, Jason, um, uh, the friendly, lovable lug of a woman, 
uh, rolled up, and um, somehow we decided we were going to walk down to that shopping center and buy some comics, and we did. And we started we started walking. And we walked about as far down as Yulupa School, and we kept walking, and uh, we kept walking a little bit further. And I remember um, Jason had this little boombox with him, and uh, he was wearing a, a shirt with cut off sleeves, and he had the boombox, you know, on his shoulder. And uh, as we're walking, he uh, starts playing uh, Round and Round by Rat. And he's looking around, he's listening to the music, he's bobbing his head, and he's like, hey guys, guys, check this out. Out on the streets, that's where we'll meet. This song's about us. And so that put a little bit of pep in our step, and we just continued to roam, 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 just stride, stride down the street, just pounding the pavement of the sidewalk, until all of a sudden, we found ourselves at that shopping center, and there was a 7-Eleven. We'd gotten there all completely under our own locomotion, volition. Uh, we were there, and uh, we were there with pockets full of a couple dollar bills and some change, and more comic books were purchased. Probably some Slurpees were purchased. We might have even played some video games, and I can't remember what arcade games they had in that 7-Eleven at the time. Later on, that 7-Eleven um, became a hot spot because it had a Street Fighter II cabinet at the height of Street Fighter II's popularity. Um, and I remember one time I was hanging out with my friend John, who I've mentioned on the show before, who um, lived in Bennett Valley. Um, both of his parents, his parents were divorced, but um, they lived close to each other in Bennett Valley. We were at John's mom's house, um, and John had his uh, learner's permit, but did not yet have a driver's license. And John was one of the first um, friends in my friend group to get a driver's license, and that's going to be its own episode one day. But um, I remember we were just kicking back. He's like, hey, man, let's uh, go over to 7-Eleven and play some Street Fighter 2. And I was like, I don't feel like walking over there. And this was years later. This is when we were in high school. And... Um, he was like, no, man, we'll, we'll take the car. And I was like, what are you talking about? You don't have a license? He's like, we'll take the car. And so we got in uh, his mom's silver Buick, which eventually became uh, John's car, and drove on down to that 7-Eleven and played some Street Fighter Two, and just felt like, I don't know how John felt, but I, I felt like we were just, you know, in full breaking the law rebellion mode. And um, as you may have picked up from the show so far, based on my own strange uh, rule abidingness and guilt that also then leads to kind of this uh, euphoric rush when I do break the law so we broke the law that day but anyway back to Matt Jason and myself yeah we had figured out we would kind of um, unlocked the puzzle of Bennett Valley we, figured, we now knew that the, the entire region was our playground um, so yeah comic books became a really big part of my life at this point and I would occasionally get my parents to take me down to the dedicated comic book store in town which I guess at that time was either best of two worlds or maybe it had become Barrett's comics and games um, at this point I can't remember but um, but 7-eleven was my go-to spot because I could get there myself and it just was this really fun feeling of checking in every couple of weeks to see what new books were in um, pick them up roll them up uh, treat them Treat them rough. I, you know, this was before the whole collecting nonsense and had ruined a child's relationship with uh, newsprint and ink, you know, when it was still cool to just like, you know, roll those things up in your back pocket and walk home, actually read them. You know, you don't have to fuss around with mylar bags and cardboard backing and all that other nonsense. But uh, so the comic book thing, that led to us always, me, Jason, and Matt started doing a lot of just walking back and forth to that shopping center and back. And um, we started to meet other like-minded folks our age who were into the comic books. And um, 
While I wasn't particularly socially successful at school, this kind of led to, like I said, we started to meet some other people. And it's so weird because none of us would really hang out at school, but then we would roam around and run into each other after school. Because like even like Jason and Matt, those guys, I don't remember ever really hanging out with them at school. I remember a couple times hanging out in the library with Matt making those movie advertisement collages, but that's about it. So anyway, um, yeah, we would end up roaming and run into another comic book fan. I remember like one time, for instance, uh, um, winding up in a, in a bedroom in a McMansion somewhere with this really uptight kind of banker looking kid who was, uh, just, um, had this, he already had the long boxes and the Mylar bags and the cardboard backing. And he was, uh, looking at his comic books and he was trying to tell us how much his collection was worth. And he was citing a overstreet guide, um, as if it were, you know, some religious text and uh, everyone was getting really worked up about, Oh, these are really worth that much money. The minor worth this and minor worth that. And it's like, guys, Let's let's pull it back a minute. You know, you, a you have to actually these things have to be in um, uh, the conditions that they're stated in in the guide. And our comic books, the way we're treating them, Jason and Matt, that's certainly not the case. And second of all, you actually have to find someone to be willing to pay these ridiculous prices because comic book stores aren't actually going to pay you what it says in the guide here. I didn't know that at the time though, and so we were all just sitting there in our mind, just Scrooge McDucking, you know, amassing our fortunes with the comic books that we had. Um, but. Uh, Along the way, we kind of picked up another member of our after-school crew, a guy named Adam. And uh, Adam lived in a house, um, I can't even remember exactly where it was in Bennett Valley, but it was kind of borderline McMansion-y, um, nice big house. Um, his parents owned a jewelry store in the shopping center um, that I mentioned previously. And it's a jewelry store that still exists to this day, long since out of his parents' hands. But um, it was in the news a couple years back because uh, some guys rolled up from the East Bay and tried to rob the store. And I think maybe even took a, um, took a clerk uh, hostage, but the owner just got all Clint Eastwood and like shot at the dudes, even though they had the hostage and the dudes ran. And then the, the owner like ran out into the parking lot and was like firing rounds out in the parking lot. So it's kind of a wild scene. I think one dude got hit. The other one got away. And I never know what happened after that, but it was, it was funny to see the jewelry store back in the news again. Um, but so we started rolling with Adam and Adam's parents were gone a lot because I, you know, they'd be working at the store and then I think they'd also go out of town for like conventions or trade shows or whatever. So, um, we started where we it used to be just me and Matt always hanging out at his apartment. We started making expeditions to Adam's house because Adam's house was a lot more entertaining to hang out at because it was bigger and there was like more stuff to get into. And um, I'd mentioned way back on this episode, which is now spiraling out of control and becoming supersized again, but that's just the way it's going to be. I do want to make one aside here really quick. The summer months are coming and I'm not sure how productive I'm going to be on the podcasting front. So I'm trying to cram in as much as I can now for this last episode, which may be the last for a while, but I'm hoping it's not. But anyway, um, I mentioned, you know, 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago that, um, along with garbage pail kids, I really associate muscles with this time period and with Bennett Valley. And muscles were, if you remember, or for those of you who don't know, um, millions of unusually strange, no, maybe millions of unusual small creatures lurking everywhere. That was muscle. And muscle, you know, it was the North American uh, version of the Kaneko Man franchise from Japan. And Kaneko Man's this thing where it's basically like all these creatures that live in a world where basically everyone's a professional wrestler. So it's all these outlandish characters that are all pro wrestlers and it ranges from like, you know, there's the main characters and a few of them are like knockoffs of, um, of actual real life pro professional wrestlers. Like there's a guy, I think he's called Terry man. Who's a, a Terry funk knockoff. And there's 
one that looks like Abdullah the Butcher and stuff like that. But then you got the really crazy stuff, like there was a disembodied hand that had like a face on one of the fingers. Uh, stuff like that. I'm sure you remember them. They were little pink plastic uh, figures. But I just loved these things because they were they, they corresponded with my obsession with wrestling that was budding at the time. And they just I loved the packaging. Like you could either buy you could buy a group of them in a transparent plastic garbage can, but you could also get um, these sets that came in these like long either red or blue boxes, depending. I think if it was like a baby face group or a heel group, good guys or bad guys. And uh, it, there wasn't a lot of detail that came with them, but it seemed to be hinting that they were part of some larger story, which because they were, they were from this manga series in Japan. And that kind of stuff always really got over with me when I was a kid because it was like, there's a story here. I just need to uncover it. So I had already been effing around with muscles. Uh, but this guy, Adam, you know, he, uh, his parents, he was pretty well indulged by his parents. He might have been an only child. I can't remember. But anyway, um, he had just tons of muscle stuff, including like the wrestling ring for the muscles, which I did not have. And I never even saw other than in his bedroom. Um, but he had all kinds of crazy muscle. He might have even had some weird like carrying case for them that I hadn't even seen in stores. But so I just loved hanging out in his room because it was just like this muscle paradise. And I just, you know, was able to, I felt like I was being transported into their world, the world of muscle through Adam's bedroom. So enjoyed hanging out over there. Um, enjoyed watching movies over there too. Um, one time I was over there um, when his parents actually were home. He had a birthday party, a slumber party. And the big uh, gimmick of the slumber party is that we were going to get to watch uh, Rambo 2, first, or Rambo First Blood Part 2, or whatever the second Rambo movie was called. And uh, I had built up this movie so huge in my mind. I just love the fact that, like, this movie is about this dude who he appears to be, like, you know, he's got machine guns, but he also has, like, a bow with, like, explosive arrows. And I would just, like, spend time in my room cataloging his various, like, weapons and his attributes and abilities, even though I'd never seen any of the movies and didn't know what was up. You know, <laughs> I was just making this up on the fly. But this movie was going to be showing at the slumber party because it was newly available on VHS. And um, I remember telling my mom, we're going to go to the uh, – we're having this – I'm going to a slumber party, but there's going to be no movies shown, no movies. And my mom was kind of like, okay, uh, yeah, no movies. I was making a big deal about that. But then uh, at the slumber party, I proceeded to watch First Blood Part Two probably like four times. Like we all watched it as a group once, and then I watched it maybe four more times. And then um, I got into a stash of Bruce Lee movies that uh, the family had on VHS and watched all those. And so the next morning when uh, my mom came to pick me up, I was like, I didn't watch any movies. We watched no movies. And uh, Adam's mom just came up and was like, oh, hi. Yeah, this one really likes Rambo. He watched the movie like six times. <laughs> so cover blown. Um, I think I might have gotten in trouble for lying about that. Not so much about, I don't know, because like I said, my parents had this weird thing about not letting me watch movies, but then it's like if I actually saw them on my own, they wouldn't really trip, but they'd trip more about me lying. But I kind of felt like I was put in the position of having to lie by all this pressure at home about not being able to watch what everyone else was watching. So I don't know. Um, the trials and tribulations of a latent Catholic. Um, we were not Catholic, but my mom was um, – was Catholic growing up, and she went to Catholic school from, like, kindergarten through college. So you can walk away from that stuff, but some of the structures and mechanisms are still there, it seems. But anyhow, um, kind of the crescendo of Adam was um, – I mentioned earlier about Matt and the Playboy magazines that he had. But at this guy Adam's house, things got taken to a whole new level. Um, basically – I think after we started hanging out there a few times, um, he had kind of 
alluded to the fact that, uh, hey, my parents have some stuff we should check out. And what this stuff turned out to be is they had like a cabinet in, I guess it was in their kitchen or maybe kind of in the living room near the kitchen or something. But it was full of all sorts of kind of like adult novelty type stuff, like the type of stuff you see advertised um, for sale. Like if you drive past an adult bookstore, um, nothing like too uh, extreme, but more just kind of like haha funny novelties, which I won't get too descriptive about here as this is a family friendly show. But anyway, checking this stuff out and it was it was quite similar to checking out um, Playboy magazines at Matt's house. There was a lot of like, oh, hell yeah, you, you know, fist pumping and stuff with without really knowing what we were so excited about. And um, so Adam kind of got a gleam once we started checking this stuff out. And he's like, but check it out. There's more. And he took us upstairs to um, his parents' bedroom. And you went in the bedroom and in like the, the bathroom suite of the parents' master bedroom, there was like this locked uh, cabinet and he somehow, he had the key to it. And it was just like stacks and stacks and stacks of adult magazines. And, and um, adult magazines of the ilk, quite a bit more graphic than the, the tamer playboys that we had over at Matt's house. So we're just kicking back, checking these out, thinking we're like the coolest dudes on the planet. And... Um, I just remember one guy's just like kicking back on the parents' bed, leafing through the magazines. I'm kind of looking through some of them. And uh, there was a lot of fist pumping, high fives, again, without a lot of context for kind of acting out a way that we're, I, I think that we all felt um, one was supposed to act, but no one really knowing why we were acting this way. Um, and I remember the crescendo of all this as I look over and Adam, uh, the not, not the homeowner, but the son of the homeowners, is sitting there looking at a magazine, and he's sort of like gyrating his pelvis while looking at it. And I remember seeing that and thinking, so this is what my life is now. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I guess probably because of all the contraband we checked out at Adam's house, I always felt a certain sordidness uh, attached to the guy, and I always felt kind of like guilty and unclean when I would return home from roaming and ending up at his house. Um, which makes the the postscript of his tale kind of funny. One day I was just kicking back at our apartment on Takava in Bennett Valley, and um, my mom was like, um, Adam's here to see you. And I went out to the front door, and there was Adam, and he was standing there looking just like ashen and distraught. And uh, I was like, what's up, man? What's going on? And he's like, um, my family and I are leaving town tonight. I want you to have my comic books. And he hands over a stack of all of his comic books. And uh, that was the last I ever saw of him. It turns out his family had some sort of financial or creditor issues with the um, jewelry store and had to leave town in a hurry. So, Adam, uh, you know, actually, I Google stalked Adam uh, some time ago, and it appears he is still in, he went into the, the jewelry business himself. So he's still out there. Still slanging those rocks, not the, not those kind of rocks, but you know diamonds or whatever. But um, so that was kind of oh, here's and this is the final the the end of Bennett Valley for me. Um, I'll, I'll just leave you with this um, as this episode spirals out of control. Um, so eventually, my parents bought a house. We moved out of that apartment. We moved into a house, and I think theoretically the house is still sort of in Bennett Valley ish, but it's kind of at the outskirts and it intersects 
intersects the beginnings of Rincon Valley and intersects like the beginnings of like where I live, Memorial Hospital area downtown. So it it, it never felt as Bennett Valley centric um, when we lived there. I mean, my parents still live there to this day, but so it's like it, you have a you have a toe in Bennett Valley and you can go there. But I hardly ever end up in the heart of Bennett Valley anymore, even though I go visit my parents and even when I lived in that house. Um, so we moved and we moved. Um, during the summer before I started sixth grade. So that meant I moved schools again. I started, I spent sixth grade. I went to uh, Matanzas Elementary School, and that's where I uh, encountered skateboarders for the first time, as chronicled in, I believe, episode two of the podcast. But um, so we moved to this house, and my birthday's in the summer. And so I had a birthday party that consisted mostly of heads I knew from Bennett Valley, even though we'd moved. And, um, it, at that time, having uh, overnight slumber party, birthday parties where you stay up all night was the rage. So um, I had a bunch of people over. We stayed up all night. We watched Creep Show. Somehow I got uh, – I guess this was a couple years down the line, so the, my parents had softened on the movie thing. But rented Creep Show, watched that, stayed up super late. And then um, around 3 o'clock in the morning, the party kind of broke off into two camps. And half of us – we're trying to watch uh, a second round of Creep Show, and the other half started playing a, a rousing game of Monopoly. And I was with the people that were still trying to watch the movie again, and uh, we were in my parents' living room. And then the Monopoly game was going on at the dining room table in the kitchen, kind of off to the right. And uh, these guys were just getting louder and louder, just like high off too much root beer and uh, pizza or whatever, just the, the sleep deprivation, and so they're yelling at each other and carrying on, and those of us trying to watch a movie are just like, shut up, dude, we're trying to watch this movie, and they're like, no, you shut up, ah, you owe me rent for Boardwalk, ah. and uh, eventually, I just snapped, I had enough, it's like, dude, this is my birthday party, you know, and I rarely pull that card, I actually hate that type of approach, um, but, I, but I was at wit's end, so I was like, you guys need to shut up, we're trying to watch this movie, you're gonna wake my mom up, she's gonna make us go to bed, and uh, Matt from the Knowles, who was at the birthday party, just looked at me and was like, whatever. And I remember just shoving him and knocking him out of his chair. And like he got up in a fighting stance. And I think we each grabbed each other's faces. And then my mom just came out and like broke up the party. And we all had to like go try to go to sleep. And uh, uh, I didn't sleep. And eventually the morning came and everyone's parents came and picked them up. And then at midday, I fell asleep. And then I woke up at about five o'clock in the evening, and I thought it was the next morning. And I was like, "All okay, I'm, I'm I'm feeling better now. I'm good to go." But then I realized it was five, and I just felt so out of it, and just like burst into tears, and just had this huge meltdown. But anyway, that was I, kind of the end of Meta Valley because I never saw that guy mad again after that. And um, while I maintained friendships with some of the people that I knew from there, Matt was gone, Adam was gone, the woman known as Jason disappeared into the ether. He, he had been long gone uh, even before this birthday party. I don't even know whatever happened to him. Probably off with his mom and his mom's boyfriend somewhere just cruising the streets in a Trans Am, living the dream. But um, yeah, so that was Tales from Bennett Valley, just some, some musings on growing up in one small neighborhood on one small quadrant of a very large galaxy. Um Hopefully it wasn't too mind-numbingly boring. It's kind of a weird topic, I guess, but I, I feel like for anyone that grew up in the 80s, there might be something to hang your hat on there. We all had our own Bennett Valley, I'm sure. Um, 
But yeah, thanks for listening. I don't know when I will be back. I will try to be back sooner than later. But like I said, the summer is approaching and uh, the summer schedule makes it very hard to record here at Sensational Manor. But I'm going to see what I can do. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm committed to trying to get some episodes out. In the meantime, continue to check out everything that's going on uh, on the IC Robots Radio Network, the Toys R Us Report, Geek Fest Rants, um, various uh, audio handbooks of the Marvel Universe that come down the pike now and again, um, who's who in the DC Universe that come down the pike now and again. If you're not familiar with those, those are episodes that IC Robots does where he looks back at those old 80s, either the... Um, what was it? The handbook to the Marvel universe. I might be having the exact name uh, wrong or the who's who in DC. And he kind of talks about them, reads through different characters, but then also kind of adds in his own recollections from the era and recollections about the character. So those are always good. Listen, um, his, this boring life shows. Um, yeah. I see robots.com. Check it all out. Head over to support the report.com for where, for as little as a dollar, a month you can help us do what we do in the meantime thanks again for listening thanks for sticking in there for this once again supersized episode uh thanks for letting me be sensational thanks for being sensational with me for the mr sensational gino vega podcast on the icy robots radio network this is mr sensational gino vega signing off This has been a Joseph X Mama production on the IC Robots Radio Network. Not heard.